Well, each new year holds challenges, yes, and each new year is a time to sort out what we want to pick up and what we want to drop. Each new year is a time of, of uh, sowing seed and reaping the harvest, and each new year anticipates the future, yeah? The new day is uh, the day for sowing, this new day is a, is a day for sowing seed. So we turn to Scripture and the teachings of Jesus found in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. This is a long text. It's going to go from 24 and on to about 40. You're going to want it in front of you so you can look at it and ruminate on it. So pull it up online on your phone or whatever if you brought your Bible. Look it up. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. You're going to want to read it for yourself and chew on it here a little bit as we look at it. It is a parable, so it's rather straight ahead, uh, yet it is good to have it in front of you. So Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version, a rather uh, straight ahead scholarly translation of the Bible, the NRSV. Here we go. He put before, Jesus put before them another parable. He's talking to the disciples. This is Jesus. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? And he answered, an enemy's done this. The slave said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Talking about the weeds. He said, he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you'd uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So here you go. Stop right there. As we begin a new year, I'm compelled to ask, what is the state of the gospel at this time? You can think world, you can think nation, you can think locally, you can think right at Lakeland. What's the state of the gospel? Just as far as really this country goes, nearly all church have, churches have lost worshipers over the last two years. And it's not just the pandemic, although that's a huge part of it. The Western world has become more and more secular. Younger adults are now only 20% 26% of them are claiming to be Christian. A few years ago, it was 40%. Secularism has, has arrived. They've not, uh, young people and others have not jumped ship and like become Muslim or jumped over to Islam or other religions. Instead, they're really called nuns, not like the religious type, like an N-O-N-E-S, like as in none of the above. I choose to be nothing. I'm a nun. Politics, on another hand, have invaded the sacred space, dividing brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and violating the body of Christ. Of course, Christians are largely responsible for their own poor public image, yeah, and for their own sin. Whether it be pedophile clergy or calling gays hated sinners or abusive, unmonitored Christian schools in our own state of Missouri, if you read the papers. And let's not forget the church's sins of the past that somehow get dredged up and thrown of our face, that somehow Christianity is like responsible for all of the Western world's woes, which is completely unfounded. Nonetheless, they're still there, whether it be being co-opted 
uh, over the last 500 years by oppressive European colonialism, now so, found so popular in any college classroom these days. So despite Christianity's overwhelming benefits and contributions to, say, education, John Adams, by the way, medicine, what's your local hospital's name? It ain't secular Luke's. You know what I mean? It's St. Luke's and it's Mary's and so forth. Christians started the hospitals. You can go all the way back to uh, Clara Barton and the rest of them with the Red Cross. Of course, there was always Galileo giving glory to God when he peered through his telescope. Natural science came through Christians. Individual rights and freedom. Your, our ideas of democracy were founded on the value of the human being, of each person. Currently, Christianity, however, has a public relations problem at best. And at worst, Christianity could be on its way out to yet just another lost ancient belief system that archaeologists and historians will talk about someday. We are at a moment of sorting the wheat from the weeds, everyone. What is the true gospel and, and what is the false gospel? Personally, I don't feel like going on a witch hunt to find out those enemies of the gospel. Rather, I'm content to, content to say, like, let's just focus on ourselves and find out what we ought to be doing about it. Because probably the enemies of the gospel, those enemies may unwittingly be us. We may be our own worst enemies. For instance, we may be our own worst enemy of the gospels by being obsessed with youthfulness. Because I'm quoting stats about how many are, you know, Christian, 26% and 40% and all this sort of thing. We may be obsessed with youthfulness, according, by the way, to youth ministry expert, Professor Andrew Root. Andy Root, who we've had in here to lecture and so forth. And Professor Root would tell us that churches are way over-obsessed with youth ministry. We may be our own worst enemy when we trade God's divine action for slick strategies for attracting, attracting youth and the next person to come through the doors. We may be our own worst enemy when we trade out disciplined, patient holiness for self-help, feel-good, it's-all-about-me therapeutic moralism. Because scripture memorization and solitude and fasting just aren't sexy enough for the me generation. Nobody wants to do the hard work, in other words. We may, we may be our own worst enemy when we are obsessed with finding and protecting the next marginalized, disenfranchised subset of the population instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus. The Mary Martha issue. We may be our own worst enemy when we are more concerned with protecting the rights, our rights, our political rights, rather than embracing our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, as Paul says in Philippians. Yes, it's a time of sorting, everyone. So instead of attempting to pull weeds, let's follow Jesus' teaching during an impressive time and let the wheat and the weeds grow up together and we'll sort things out at the harvest by God's action. Just, by the way, did you know that in New Testament times, what Jesus was talking about was everyone knew what it was, of course, classic history type thing. Did you know there really was a common ryegrass weed that came up all the time? And now we call it, in uh, Middle English, we call it Darnell. Darnell. D-A-R-E-L. Maybe that's where the word darn came from. I don't know. Uh, like darn these weeds. But Darnell. And it looks just like wheat when it sprouts. This ryegrass does. 
and, uh, and you can't tell it from the wheat until it gets to maturity, and then the darnel is shorter than the wheat. And so they're all like, yeah, we know what darnel is when Jesus is talking about this stuff. So if one is careful, one could simply harvest the darnel the, and leave behind the taller wheat if you want, when they all get to maturity. And so then you'd have a clean harvest. And then the darnel and then the wheat stalks that get after the harvest can all get chopped up and burned as fuel. So it really was a real thing. There really was this common thing that could get sown in with the wheat called darnel, a ryegrass. Of course, all of us would-be harvesters need to know the difference between the wheat and the weeds now, don't we? And that's the tricky part, isn't it? How do you know the good seed these days? To answer this question requires incredible spiritual maturity and very wise discernment. Jesus' disciples, they wanted to know what Jesus meant by the parable. They got it. It's real straight ahead. It's not too hard to understand the story. And so Jesus answers them. They ask Jesus, and he answers them. By the way, this is one of these rare moments, and it's kind of common in Matthew's gospel, that he actually gives a very, very clear, like, no-brainer, no-duh answer, breakdown of what the parable is. And so here it is. So jump in Matthew chapter 13, jump to verse 36. Matthew 13, 36. And here we go. Then Jesus left the crowds and he went into the house and his disciples approached him saying, explain to us, Jesus, the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered and said, okay, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus. The field is the world and the good seed are the children of the kingdom and the weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil and the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. And the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let everyone with ears listen, Matthew says. Real straight ahead. But, oh man... I got to tell you, you know you're in the thick of things where you need some discernment when Jesus starts whipping out these things about like, he's talking about the devil and angels and fire and the end of the age and the kingdom and the, the evildoers and the furnaces and the weeping and gnashing of teeth, cats and dogs living together. I mean, it's all going bad. And you better know what to do. And that takes tremendous discernment. It takes tremendous discernment. To answer this question requires incredible spiritual maturity. And what we need these days are wise women and men of God who know their scriptures and can read the sign of the times. Otherwise, we might drift into accommodation or holding the fort or who knows what. And Christianity will be over. So allow me to put forth a challenge for this year, 2022. I propose, Lakeland, that we sink deep into two critical sacks of seed and dig deep and plant this. Discipleship and community. Discipleship and community. That's what we need to dig deep into. Discipleship and community. That's the wheat. I challenge Lakeland to get serious about discipleship and being the community that is the body of Christ. The elders have discerned that we cannot continue to be church as usual. 
and expect lives to change. The elders have discerned that we cannot continue to do church as usual. Something's got to shift. The elders know that we cannot continue to do the same thing and expect different results. I throw down this challenge, Lakeland. Let us plant the good seed of discipleship. Let us plant the good seed of worship. And let us reap the harvest, therefore, of community and changed lives. To build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Not swayed by temporal public opinion, nor the weeds of politics and popularity. But let us be the church where people have often said of us over the years, Hey, you know what? When I think of get real Christians, I think of some of those people over there at Lakeland Community Church. They seem like the real deal. Over the next several weeks, we're going to tell you more and more about what the elders' idea is for how we're going to accomplish this vision of serious discipleship, focused worship, and authentic community. Right now, on this beautiful, crisp winter day, it is enough to say that it is seed time at Lakeland. It is time to pick out the right seed and prepare the soil. It is challenge time at Lakeland. So know this, the elders are committed to building a strong, vibrant Lakeland. The leadership is on it, staff is on it, and it's beginning. And we'll tell you more about it as the weeks unfold here over the next couple of months. They have been on this, elders have been on this for many, many, many months of discernment because that's what elders' primary job is, discerning the Spirit. And until this challenge comes to fruition, allow me then to give you what we ought to all be doing here at the beginning of a new year, right here in the middle of winter. Here's what we ought to be doing is, is preparing and tilling up our winter soil. And the one thing we all need is gratitude. Gratitude is how you prepare the soil. A grateful heart and a grateful hand. Of course, someone who's thick like me had to relearn this discipline of gratitude lying in an emergency room gurney. That's about the only lesson God could teach me is there is like how grateful I was for every doctor, nurse, and shot and everything else I got. And all of you guys. If you want to know the will of God, everyone... You begin with gratitude. If you want to learn wisdom, count your blessings, despite your circumstances. Gratitude is the beginning of wisdom. Gratitude casts a gaze towards the other. Gratitude casts a gaze toward the hands of the giver. Gratitude points away from oneself and self-focused and instead thanks another person. Gratitude is worship, and gratitude requires selflessness. Gratitude tells us the sun did not rise this morning out of a certain orifice of your body. Gratitude says, I am not master of my own ship. Gratitude is an open hand that says, I am not the captain, I'm the sailor. So students, be grateful for your excellent schools and the community that we live in and for the teachers that you have and for your better friends who lead you toward love and generosity. Drop the weeds of those that would distract you and ruin your life. College folk, be grateful for the gift that you have in preparing for the future, that you have the advantage that many, many, many other people do not have. 
Young people, young families, work hard and be grateful for a paycheck and a strong work ethic. Dig back into work. God, the creator, worked. Six days, God worked. We are made in God's image. Work is good. Work is image-bearing. Be grateful for it. Older adults, be careful of isolation and cynicism. Renounce the Darnell of a critical spirit. Be wary of just wanting church to tickle your ears and make you comfortable and numb. And everybody, be grateful for all the medical researchers and workers that continue to actually literally save the population of the world. If there isn't any better place to start with gratitude, it's right there. Be grateful, everyone. Gratitude is the way forward. Gratitude is where we start with a new year. Gratitude is what tills the soil in the dead of winter. Well, you know what? Uh, way back in November, you know who reminded me of gratitude the first time? Was Pastor Jack Leo. Pastor Jack Leo is a pastor in the uh, working in the underground persecuted house church in a very, very, very large Asian country right now, today. Pastor Jack has every right to complain about his situation and point fingers and yell at his government and wonder why nobody's supporting him. And instead, Pastor Jack writes us, the Lakeland Community Church, a poem that I want to share with you this first Sunday of 2022. It is a poem of gratitude. So let us be strengthened by his attitude of gratitude. So could we roll Jack's poem for us, please? I have visited the U.S. several times. Lost most people's contact. Only still keep in touch with you. Thank God for his grace. You are the clouds surrounding me. So I can stand on the shoulder of giants. What I learned from you. Be a blessing in my ministry. Your words and expressions remembered in my mind often. You are a role model in my life so that I can easily serve. No matter how small the matter I share, you always put in your heart. Spend money and effort for me, mature and sophisticated. Although your life is not easy, but you still set me as your priority. Life with your prayer, it is nothing to fear. Free from poverty mind, may I have a blessed hand. Don't know how to repay, only bring you to the Lord. May the Lord bless you on earth and commemorate it in heaven. A poem of gratitude from the bottom of my heart when I look forward to seeing you. More gratitude will be expressed again.
Pastor Jack is a man who knows his God. Pastor Jack is a man who wrote that poem on the day I found out my wife had cancer and sent it to us. And I think, that Jack, that dude's connected with the Holy Spirit, man. He knows what's going on. Amen.